Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. I just want to start the sermon, the message, by saying I love Damascus Road. I, I love you guys. I love us. I love who we are and what God is doing in us. And one of the things that I love is this desire for authenticity, that we recognize and we celebrate that life isn't always clean. It might rarely ever be clean. And that doesn't cause us to freak out. That causes us actually to, uh, to grab together, to hold each other more tightly, and to celebrate the journey as we walk with and toward Jesus together. You are not satisfied to go through the motions. And I love that about you. There's like this chorus at DR, like, give it to me for real. I just love that. And I also love the emotion that can accompany this. Like, we celebrate big and we grieve hard. Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And I want to say, I think, I think we do this pretty well as a church. I, we don't gloss over things. Another thing that I love here is a passion for the Word of God. 2 Timothy 2, 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We believe in the whole counsel of Scripture, that the Old and New Testament together is breathed by God. We call it the Word of God, is that God spoke this into being. And he used human characters, human people that he could inspire, that he didn't just take away their intuition and their intellect. They actually wrote the thing, and God was in the process the whole way, walking it through. And what we hold today in the Bible is the inspired word of God. This is all scripture. Now, at the time when that was written, that was referring to the Old Testament, because they didn't have the New Testament, right? All scripture is God-breathed. We've come to recognize the New Testament also as inspired by God and breathed by God. And so it's useful for teaching and correcting and training and rebuking in righteousness as we together as individuals and as a body grow up toward Jesus. And so we're starting today a series in the Psalms. This is a summer series. I'm super excited to just hang out in the Psalms for the summer. One of the reasons is to just take a collection, a book of the Bible, and say, we don't actually even know what's coming. God, we just love your word. So let's hang out here. We want to hear from you. We want to be changed by you, and we want to move forward with you. And I love that kind of, like, let's just be attentive to what God has to say. It's also, the Psalms are incredible in their humanity people who are uh, doing life and celebrating well and grieving hard and all doing it toward and with God. Different types of psalms, like there's praise psalms that say, God, wow, and thanksgiving songs that say, God, your way is best. Thank you. God, thank you. Wisdom psalms to say, I want to follow you. You know what you're doing even when I don't. Even when I don't understand it and I want to follow you. 
There's royal psalms, psalms of royalty that say, God, you are king. And there's psalms of lament that cry out, God, why? Collectively, these songs or poems that were written, I think, both as personal prayers and uh, corporate worship together, cry out, God, wow. God, your way is best. God, you are king. God, thank you. And God, why? Through every little step of life, every big step of life, through the joys and the sorrows, the Psalms cry out to and with God. And I love that. One commentator wrote, the collection of the 150 Psalms that we have is almost this in the midst of sorrow praise. You cannot read through the Psalms and get away from sorrow. So if you're afraid to grieve, don't open Psalms. You cannot read them and not be struck with emotion. There are some ugly Psalms. There are some Psalms where the the one who's writing is praying destruction on enemies. And what's really healthy about that is the idea that we take who we are and we give it to God. We, like, trust God with that. He already knows what's going on in our heart, right? And we don't have to fake that. We need to say, oh, no, 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 I better not tell God that part. He's like, come on. Even that. I'll take even that. I want that, too. And the Psalms are beautiful in the way they do it. Psalms have been largely attributed to King David. If you know the history of God's people, uh, King David was the king at the highest point of glory in the nation of Israel. And he was, a, he was a shepherd by trade, and he became a king. It was said that he was a man after God's own heart, though we know he had some crazy broken pieces in him as well. Uh, he was a dude who loved to play instruments um, and write poetry. So in David, you see strength and weakness, you see aggression, and you see music, and you see all of it coming together toward God, and the Psalms are a collection of that. Though David um, probably wrote about half of what we have, uh, in the collection of 150, there are lots of different authors spanning 800 years. That's a big deal. 800 years. Uh, in the course of 150 psalms. So it's not just one life of 70 years. This is a long stretch of God's people living life and crying out to God in the middle of it. Like I said, I think they're meant to be shared publicly in a corporate setting, and I think they're good also as personal meditation. Psalms is one of the three most quoted books by Jesus. So Jesus quoted a lot from Deuteronomy, which is a history book. He quoted a ton from Psalms, which is a wisdom book. And he created, uh, quoted a ton from Isaiah, which is a, uh, one of the major prophets. Each of those three major categories, Jesus had a favorite, or maybe not a favorite, a most quoted. He used those most. Psalms is right there in the middle of that. And so you should, or we should, be able to see and hear hints of Jesus' voice as we read through the Psalms. Some of the things that we read in Psalms show up. Uh, in who he was and how he taught and how he led. So this morning, uh, we're going to read Psalm 1, and we're going to start there. Okay? 
And we're not going to go in order through a whole 150. It's not a 150-week series. Um, it's 14 weeks, and we have kind of a cross-section of psalms, like all the different emotions, all the different uh, styles. We're going to take a look at all of those. Psalm 1 is sort of an introduction to the psalms. Uh, it was placed at the beginning because it says, uh, here's an invitation to what's coming. And so I want to read that this morning. We're going to start in the ESV. And I think it's valuable to kind of, I don't know if any of you guys have parallel Bibles where you get to read multiple translations side by side. Uh, really cool discipline. We're going to read it in the ESV, which is a kind of a strict word for word uh, translation. And then we're going to read it in the New Living, which is more of a flowing dynamic translation. And I want you to pay attention uh, because they work together. They illuminate one another. This is Psalm 1 from the ESV. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in, in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. That's ESV. We're going to read the New Living now. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They're like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do, but not the wicked. They are like work worthless chaff scattered by the wind. They will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly. For the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads to, destruct, leads to destruction. I want to make some observations and just walk through Psalm 1 together. Here's the language that he uses, and what is he saying? And then, what does that mean for us today? It starts out with blessed. That first word, blessed, in the ESV, in New Living, it says, oh, the joy. Blessed, it's a picture of the happy life, the good life. Not a life free from trial and trouble, right? But a life uh, full, a life abundant. This is the same word that Jesus uses in the Beatitudes when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. So Jesus is offering um, a reflection of this Psalm 1. You could, in some ways, call Psalm 1 a Beatitudes in the, New, in the Old Testament, right? A Beatitudes before Jesus, Jesus even spoke them. Blessed, the happy life. This is what life is meant to look like. It starts out. And then it goes into a negative picture, right? And it says, not somebody who walks with the wicked, or stands with sinners, or sits with mockers. And what it's presenting here is a life immersed in all that's opposed to God. And it, you almost could get this picture. I, you know, like, to walk is to join arms uh, with the wicked, to say, I want to I link up with you. And to stand 
is to say, this is the ground that I'm taking. And to sit was a posture of learning, right? So when Mary sits at the feet of Jesus, she's not just taking it easy. She's actually submitting and learning, and he's teaching her, which was radical and wonderful, right? And she's learning from the rabbi. So you can also see in that walks and stands and sits almost a gradual descent into evil. Someone who'll walk along uh, and just dabble in it, somebody who'll like stop, stop and stay there, and finally somebody who'll sit down, and this is where I am now. This is where I'm going to say, I'm going to stay. And they say, uh, this is a life opposed to God. So there's a, a dichotomy being presented. The wicked was a legal term. Somebody in court would be found guilty of doing the wrong thing. So somebody who is guilty of, of living the wrong way would be considered wicked. The sinners, uh, is important to note, was not just like somebody who just made a mistake. This was a way of life, a life oriented around evil inclinations. That's what uh, the author is conveying in the, the idea of a sinner, somebody oriented towards sin. And mockers. Mockers, to us, sounds better than wicked and sinners. There's an edge to those two words, and mockers maybe doesn't have that. Uh, in the psalm, it's worse. In the psalm, it takes a step up. So you're not just wicked, and you're not just a sinner. You go and you mock those who would follow God. So you are wicked, and you are a sinner, and you, you make fun of those who would follow God and orient their life around God. And there's another category of evil uh, called mockers there. So the happy life is in none of those three categories, right? Not the wicked and not the sinners and not the mockers. It says, but they find their delight. And this comes back to God is not a God who wants to just squeeze the life out of us and say, submit to me, right? When Michael preached on submission and obedience and how we orient our life to God and we give him who we are. That actually gives us life. The kind of submission that is healthy is where the one who's submitting freely grows, doesn't have life squeezed out of them, isn't oppressed by that submission. That's not forced. It's an invitation and a gift. And then you grow. A life oriented and submitted to God flourishes, grows, stands up in that. This is the contrast that the psalmist is writing. Uh, the evil will live this way, but a life toward God is a life of delight. And the delight, the delight, he writes, is in the law of the Lord. Now that to us can sound dry. Delight in the law. And it's not dry at all. Formally, formally, when the Old Testament uses the term law, they're formally identifying the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That was called the Torah. That was called the law. That the books of the law, as the Old Testament references them, those five books that start out the Bible. That describes uh, the character of God and the life that he's called us to live. Right? Um, but there's also, you can pull back and say, the law of the Lord is all of God's ways as we read them in Scripture. 
all of what God has for us. And when we delight ourselves in his law, we're delighting ourselves in his ways. We're delighting ourselves in what he has for us. Sometimes those laws serve as boundaries to say, don't go past this or you will find yourself in danger. You will find yourself in trouble. You will find yourself destroyed by that. You don't want that. Sometimes his laws are like, follow this path and it will lead you to joy and transformation. And so we delight in following his way and his words, his commands. This is, um, as the first psalm, it serves also as an invitation to dig into the psalms. You're like, blessed is the one who delights in the law of the Lord. I want you to delight in the whole book of psalms. I want you to, I want you to uh, be welcomed into this um, and grow through it. He, says, he goes on and he says, that person meditates day and night. And the word meditate has this, almost the, um, the really literal meaning of the word meditate is almost like this low mumble. Like the law of the Lord and the ways of, the God, of God would be on our lips just as we go through the day. And we'd be ruminating, we'd be thinking, we'd be uh, kind of churning over and mulling over the ways of God and, and his, word, his words, his ways, and his works all throughout the course of our life, all throughout the course of our day. That echoes Deuteronomy 6. And like the, uh, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Right? And I want you to train up your children. And when you sit at home and when you go out and when you leave and when you come back, I want you to be teaching your children these things and I want you to be living according to this. That's what meditation is all about. I want you to be uh, constantly in touch with the ways, the works of God. The New Testament talks like this. In Romans 12, 2, it says, do not be conformed to this world. That would be like Psalm 1 saying, blessed is the man who does not uh, walk with uh, the wicked or stand with sinners or sit uh, in the seat of mockers, Right? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, but delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. Do you see the, uh, the echo of Psalm 1 there in Romans 12 too? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Psalm 1 Verses 1 and 2 in the New Living Translation. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. That's like the first section of Psalm 1, which has three sections. And then the second section, the writer, the author, uh, brings an illustration to this. Let me give you a picture of what this is like. He says, it's like a tree planted uh, along the riverbank. Have any of you ever lived or driven through Wyoming? Oh, bless you. Uh, you guys just did, right? Wyoming, I was out there for uh, six months when I lived in Colorado, and I had to take a trek into Wyoming to go pick up a car for a friend. So we drove hours and hours and hours into Wyoming. Could literally see 15 miles down the road, right? It's just straight, and it's flat, and it's like... I'm going to test my Corolla right now. How, 
I'm going to see how fast I can get this thing. Because there is nothing within three miles of me. I can see it coming. Okay? Every once in a while, you'd see a, a stretch of green. And you know what it meant? Water. Nothing is growing. And then there's green. Water. Wyoming, I would not want to live there. Bless the people who do. But the stark contrast was so evident to me of like, here's what life without water looks like. And when you're planted by the stream, you flourish. It was green and it was lush. And then not uh, 100 feet away, it was just back to desolate. That's what the psalmist is writing. The happy life is the one planted in God. Now, it says planted, right? A tree that is planted. That means it's not wild. It had a master gardener who was guiding it into that spot right there. God is our master gardener, and he planted you on purpose in his word to live in him, immersed in him, and like uh, that is our way of life. That sounds like John 15, when Jesus says, my father is the vine dresser. My father is the master gardener. John 15, 1 says that. I'm the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. And then in John 15, 5, it says, yes, I'm the vine, and you are the branches. You get planted in. You're a part of me. And if you get cut off from me, you will not grow. You will wither, and you will you will shrink back from the life I have for you. But if you get planted and if you stay there, Jesus says, stay there, that you will flourish. It says it doesn't just grow. Psalm 1, like John 15, says it doesn't just grow, it fruits. It bears fruit. In season, not all the time, we don't get to dictate. Uh, a lot of us, uh, I get frustrated sometimes when I don't have fruit to show in my life. That's not my job. My job is to be faithful. My job is to abide. My job is to stay planted in the stream, right by the stream. And God, in season, will bear fruit. As I stay connected, that's what he grows in my life. That's what he grows in your life. What is God growing in your life? I heard the question, when you get squeezed, what comes out? There's way more ick in me than I want to admit. There's, uh, when I get squeezed, sometimes, you ever squeeze like a bad mango? Yeah? Okay. Different illustration, but uh, maybe appropriate. <laughs> Stepped on a frog and the it came out. Uh, that wasn't rotten to begin with. You squeeze a rotten mango and you all of a sudden realize, oh, something's wrong, right? You squeeze me a lot, and, and you can see, oh, something's wrong. And there's a, there's a need to get more and more connected. And that's true for you, too. Like, there's a need for you to be continually transformed and renewed. And God will bear fruit so that when you get squeezed, like, whoa, I didn't expect that to come out. That's cool, right? I have a grapevine at home. We bought a house three years ago when we, uh, we rented for a year when we moved here, and then we bought a place 
and there's a grapevine, which is crazy to me. I know nothing about uh, being a vine dresser. I'm not. For three years, I just watched it grow. If you know anything about grapevines, that's about the worst thing you can do. Just like, hey, have at it, right? I've got, I had branches in the grapevine that were growing 30 feet up into my spruce tree. They're way up there. I don't even know if it made grapes up there, but I sure as, I didn't get any of it, right? What you're supposed to do if you know anything about grapes is prune it back. Like there's a vine. There is a main vine that the branches come out of. And if you prune it back every year, they'll, it'll shoot out new branches. And you'll have clusters of good and healthy grapes. If you don't ever prune it, it's just sporadic little fruit. You'll get grapes and then not. Last year, we got nothing. Not a single grape grew. So about two months ago, I, I watched a couple YouTube videos, which is like certified in take a shot, right? And then I cut that thing hard. And then I showed Leslie, and she's like, oh, it looked dead. And, and it stayed dead for like two months. And it was bleeding. Like, you know how you prune a tree and it bleeds? Like, it's just bleeding. Last week, leaves started popping out. And this week, when I looked at it, they had like tripled. And now they're coming out of everywhere. And I can't wait for two weeks from now when it just grows. Something that sometimes God prunes us in life, and it seems brutal. And it was like, oh, that, that can't be good. It's actually the best thing for us, right? When you get planted in God, you know you're safe in God. That doesn't mean you're free from struggle, and that doesn't mean he's not going to have his way with you, but it's for your good. It's for your growth, and it's for fruit. And it's not like, uh, like Marlis. It's not just about her, right? It's about all the other people, too, that she gets to touch and she gets to bless. Because of what God is doing in her life, it reaches others, and other people are blessed by the fruit, right? That's a picture of what it looks like to be planted by the stream, not withering, but prospering. Psalm 1, 1 through 3 in the New Living says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They're like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. And then it goes into the third section in verse 4. The wicked are not so. And it's just a stark contrast. And he uses the illustration. He goes back to an illustration. Let me illustrate this for you. In contrast to this, the tree planted by uh, the stream of water, the wicked, the people living a life oriented away from God, are like chaff. Chaff on a plant, when you harvest uh, corn or grain, you beat it until the kernel falls down and the chaff just kind of like is dry and it blows away. So he says, the wicked, the sinner, the mocker, is they live a life that's brittle, blows away, and does not amount to anything. It might look good in the moment, but when it's beaten down, it's just gone. Contrasted to the solid, growing 
thriving tree. This looks like a life wasted. It says in verse 5, the wicked will not stand in judgment, which is a picture of being brought low. When you cannot stand under scrutiny, but you fall back, that is what a life living away from God looks like. And God shows up in your life like he did with uh, Saul, who became Paul. And he said, what are you doing? Paul was thrown to the ground. He could not stand. And that was a transforming place where God could then pick him up and say, I'm going to change you. I'm going to change your very identity. Your name will represent the change that I'm doing in you. From Saul, you'll become Paul. He becomes like the greatest missionary in the first century, spreading the gospel all over. And then verse 5 also says, sinners won't stand among the righteous. Like there's a, a brotherhood and sisterhood. There's a camaraderie. There's a community that we get to enjoy now and forever. And somebody who lives away from God is invited in, right? But they're missing some part of that vitality. They don't get to experience that. And people who don't enter into that in this life, I think the Bible paints a pretty clear picture that they're not invited to it then for all of eternity in the next life. No, this life matters. This life matters. And Psalm 1 sets up a choice and the way you live. And it actually is a matter of life and death. We're tempted to think that this is uh, just up to us. Like on our own, this is, uh, we have to muster up the strength. But I'll tell you what, on our own, every one of us falls short. If we were left to ourselves, we all go the way of the wicked, the sinner, and the mocker. We all live a life that just blows away. On our own, that's who we are. But the, the Bible is kind of the story over and over and over of the but God. On our own, we blow away, but God. Jesus is the ultimate stream. He's the ultimate river. He even said that uh, he himself was the way. When he sat down at the well with a woman who's drawing water, uh, and he started a conversation with her, it broke boundaries. So she's a Samaritan, and he's a Jew, and they didn't talk to each other, and he's talking. She's a woman, and he's a man, and he's a rabbi, and rabbis invited only men at the time, and he's engaging with her, and he's just breaking boundaries. He had a way of doing that. And she says, what is going on? And he said, I need a drink. She's like, you don't even, you, what, why are you asking me for a drink? He's like, actually, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for a drink. She's like, you don't have a bucket. <laughs> I'm just saying. He's like, I'm not actually talking about that water. Like I'm, if you knew who I am, you get to enter into streams of living water that quench your thirst, and you never get thirsty again. And she's like, I want that. I, w I want that water. This stuff is okay, but that, that's what I want. And Jesus invites her in. It changes her life. She changes others by leading them right back to Jesus to get the water that he gave. Jesus is the ultimate living water. He's the ultimate law. It says, blessed is the one who delights in the law of the Lord. 
Jesus is the way, right? He is the way. He is uh, the word of God. That's how he's described. If you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. He's the picture of the invisible God. And it's everything we can know about God is revealed in Jesus. And to follow him is to follow the law of God. On our own, we've fallen short, and Jesus came, and he fulfilled the law, and he attained righteousness for us. He gave it to us. When he died and when he rose, he fulfilled something that we could never do. And then the Holy Spirit comes in, and it gets exciting. The Spirit seals what Jesus accomplished, and he reminds us over and over and over of our identity in him. He leads us, and he continually draws us back to the word. I want to ask you, where is your delight this morning? Are you looking, are you looking to the wisdom of this world? Or are you being ever transformed by Jesus? Really simple summer challenge as we go into this series in the Psalms. I want to invite you to read the Psalms to hang out in the Psalms, to make that personal reading. If that's foreign to you, uh, grab, if, you have a, if you're still reading paper books, right? Some people are. Grab a Bible and just kind of open it to the middle. And pretty sure nine times out of ten, you're going you're gonna to open up the Psalms. That's where it is in the Bible. Open up, go back to the first one, and just read through them. There's 150 of them. Read a couple a day. You're good. Psalm 119 is going to be a trick super long. Okay? I'll just give you that warning. Linger, meditate in the Psalms this summer and see what God does with that. It's, just, it's delightful what he can grow in our life when he does that. I'll tell you just something that's brewing in me. In this next season as a church and who we are and where we're growing, as we follow Jesus and as we delight in his word, his ways and see his works among us, Here's what I'm praying for. We've we've talked about up, in, and out, right? We've talked about how we as a church want to follow Jesus, share life, and love our neighbor. That's a life up-oriented toward God, in together so that it feels like family, and out loving our neighbor and the world around us. And I'd like to take that up a notch. But I'm praying that we as a church would grow up into uh, a passionate spirituality. That's up on steroids, right? Not that we'd be bystanders, that that we'd understand just who God is and be content with that, but we would give our life continually over and over and over in a passionate spirituality to Jesus, walking in step with the Spirit, growing in freedom uh, and power in that way. I want us as a church to be well-grounded and passionate in the way we live. I want to have a radical community that not just friendly people, but I, I, heard this, um, I heard this this week over coffee. Somebody who says, somebody who's a part of our DRC family said, my neighbor knows that she can just show up for dinner whenever she wants. Wow, that is not normal. Normal is, I, I'm going to invite you on this set day and this set time if you would like to accept my invitation. This is when you're allowed in my house because i got to clean it, right? <laughs> to just have a 
come for dinner any night. That's radical. That's your normal. I want more of that. I want more of us growing in a radical community. I don't think it can be said of all of us. It certainly can't. It can't be even said of me. But I want to grow toward that. Grow toward a passionate spirituality, a radical community. And then uh, the out, a missionary zeal. I was listening to a podcast this week, or a couple weeks ago, actually. Uh, somebody says, I want you to realize that you are a fully funded full-time missionary. That all of us at Damascus Road are fully funded full-time missionaries. That God has called all of us to go out and love our neighbors, love our community, and shine for him as ambassadors of the kingdom. We are kingdom spokespeople. And I want us to live like missionaries. That's the sent lives part. We live loved and we live sent as missionary zeal. And I want to grow in that way. Psalm 1, it's an invitation to a life lived, oriented toward God, who grows and prospers as God is continually invited into it. You get to decide if that's the life you want or if you want to go in the other way. The choice is yours and the choice is made every day and every moment, and it matters. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your great love. We thank you that you are a God who reveals yourself to us, that you come to us, that you show us who you are, and you invite us into you. And we thank you for the challenge that you give of not just living life on our own. That when we need to be corrected, you correct. And you do it not out of harshness or punishment, but you do it out of a sense of love and well-being because you know what is best for us and you want what is best for us. And you lead us into that. And so to that I pray, God, if there are changes that need to be made in us, get our attention and help us. If there are ways that we are flourishing with you, help us to celebrate those. Give each one of us and give us as a community as a desire to walk with you and toward you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.